Well, good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church on this holiday weekend. Uh, even though it's a light crowd this weekend, it's, it's good to be together. It's good to be worshiping with one another. I'm uh, Pastor Eric, um, and we're just thankful if you're visiting us today that you're with us. Uh, a couple announcements uh, before we begin. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Melinda, our children's ministry coordinator. Uh, she uh, put on a great week uh, with the kids, our, our kids week, uh, summer camp, and it was fun to be out there with Melinda and all the other volunteers. So just very thankful for all the help uh, to provide that event for our kids. Um, also want to give a, a very uh, thank you to Taylor Worley. Uh, Taylor's going to be our guest preacher today on our holiday weekend. Uh, Taylor is one of our ruling elders, but he's also a professor uh, of art history at Wheaton College. So very thankful, Taylor, to have you bring the word for us today. Uh, I want to invite Rob up uh, to make an announcement uh, regarding our Square Roots event. Hi. Uh, every year we usually do a uh, booth at the Square Roots Festival, which is next weekend. And uh, it's a good chance for our church to be present in the community, uh, to show our faces and greet people. And uh, of course, we provide water and some kids crafts as well. So that's always uh, fun. We need people to sign up. There's a few slots left. They're only about an hour or two hour slot. Uh, and it entails basically just coming. Uh, just being present at the booth and being warm and welcoming to people that stop by and ask for information. So I forgot to bring the sheet up, but there is a sheet on the back table uh, if you want to sign up. There's also a link in the order of worship, and uh, it starts next Saturday and Sunday are the, the time slots throughout the day on those two days. So if you're available next weekend, it'd be great. We still have quite a few slots to sign up for. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. For other announcements, I would invite you to just turn to the back of our bulletin and you'll see some of the summer events that are going on in the life of the church. Um, at this time, I'd like us to quiet our hearts before we enter into our time of worship. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 1. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. Blessed is the Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its life does not wither. Everything they do prospers. wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish.
Let us pray. Eternal, almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sustains all things by your very word and breath, the one who gives us our very life, the one who is the master gardener in our lives, pulling out the pain, the hurt, the suffering, our sin, and transforming sinners into saints. Lord God, we come to you this day giving you thanks and praise for the work that you have done in our lives in Christ, and we continue to pray that you would work in the world around us. Lord God, we acknowledge that oftentimes we come into this space feeling the chaos of our lives, feeling the internal chaos of uncertainty and unknowns, feeling the weight of our anxiety, our worries, our doubts. Lord God, we encounter a world around us filled with violence, death, and loss. And Lord, we ask that you would draw near to these places, that you would calm the storms and the chaos of our lives, and that you would direct our eyes to Christ again this day. Lord God, we, we want to recognize those who are sick in our own congregation and within the community around us, whether it's just a summer head cold or allergies or, or even the lingering effects of COVID. Lord, we do pray for health and protection and provision. Lord, we also recognize that summer brings change, transition, for those moving away from Chicago or moving to Chicago. Lord, we ask that you would provide communities and places for those to connect and feel a sense of belonging. And we ask that our church, our community here at Lincoln Square Presbyterian may be a place of welcome and refuge in the world around us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, I invite the kids to go ahead and follow Miss Melinda in the back to our children's worship time. As they head back there, we continue in a time of prayer, recognizing that we are those who are, who are broken, we are those who have sinned, we are those in need of forgiveness and grace. In this time of confession and assurance, we are invited by God to enter and bring our confessions to him. So we will do that publicly through prayer and song and then a time of private confession. Will you join me in our prayer? Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Through your sins, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Gracious and gentle Father, we confess to you the sins that we continue to struggle with, even after confessing them to you time and time again. Give us hope and perseverance and show us your love and favor. We pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our song of confession today is a conversation between a believer and his soul. So we'll sing the italics and invite you to sing the bold with us. Come my soul and let us try for a Yeah. 
you now to take a moment of personal private confession. Merciful God, gracious Father, we thank you that in Christ Jesus you have cleansed us of our sins, and not only have you cleansed us, but that you give us new life and freedom and boldness to follow you as your new creatures. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me at this time, and we'll say these words of assurance that come from Second Corinthians. Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Amen. Well, I invite you now to greet one another as Christ welcomes and greets us.
please be seated. The Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 15. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. The Old Testament lesson is from Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? He is not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Grace, for reading. Well, it's, um, it's good to be here. I just got back from some international travel, so it's good to be anywhere that's not an airport. Um, I wasn't prepared. Um, but I'm always grateful to return to the Psalms. It was the prayer book and the hymn book of the people of God. It was the prayer book of Jesus and his disciples. And I guess for that reason, it makes it the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the pages of the New. It kind of helps hold the whole story together. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 provide an introduction to the whole book of 150 Psalms. All the major themes of the whole book of Psalms can be found in seed form here in these opening two Psalms. What they intimate will be unpacked and extended and developed over the course of the rest. They create the framework wherein the prayers, like the prayers we heard in Psalm 4 and Psalm 6, are even possible. Both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 speak about the two paths or the two ways to live. Both Psalms offer an account of where to find protection and blessing from God. Both Psalms picture for us the benefits of choosing God's way and the consequences of making the wrong choice. But whereas Psalm 2 is a royal or messianic psalm because, because it's celebrating the reign of God's everlasting king, Psalm 1 is a little more simple and foundational. It's a psalm of instruction, or what some might call a wisdom psalm. It celebrates the defining terms for how God's people would live together in relationship with him and with each other. So it presents kind of the standard operating procedures, so to speak, of covenant life with God. It's certainly basic, 
But I believe, as we'll see, it's also beautiful and life-giving. So let me read the passage for us. You have it in your order of service. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in this way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as you can see, the instructional content is perfectly straightforward. Pursue the narrow path of righteousness and avoid the well-worn paths of unrighteousness. To be included with God's righteous ones, we need to avoid those who despise him and his ways. Simple enough for a child to understand, yet elusive to master for even the most mature of us. This moral clarity, however, is not what remains memorable about Psalm 1. It's a psalm, after all. What stands out here is the picture it gives us, this portrait of a flourishing tree. So with the time we have this morning, let's consider this psalm in light of two questions. Question number one, what is the significance of this image, the image of this flourishing tree? And question two, how is this good news for us. So the first question, what is the significance of this image? Stepping back a bit, I suppose it's really fitting for the Psalms to start with the picture of a tree. The motif of the tree is one vehicle for telling the whole story of the Bible. We're introduced in Genesis 2, right at the beginning, to the tree of life and to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, shows us that tree of life once again in the middle of the heavenly city, here where its leaves provide healing for the nations. Between these two bookend trees, you even have Paul in Galatians comparing the cross of Christ to a tree. So once you start looking for it, you can see trees everywhere. I think there's probably a more natural explanation, though. Let's recall the immediate physical context for this psalm. It's likely written with the hot and arid deserts and semi-deserts of the region well within mind. In such places, water is a priority and trees are very sparse. For this reason, Israel would have held the image of a thriving desert tree to be a powerful symbol of life and of death. So imagine with me, if you will, maybe you want to close your eyes and picture that thriving desert tree alone in the wilderness. What does it look like? It's a striking image the psalmist used. Unlike the leftovers of the threshing floor that are carried away by a strong breeze, this great tree is rooted and established, situated near streams of living water and producing continually. It's both a sign of immense blessing and a channel of blessing for others. Besides just yielding fruit and offering shade for humans and beasts alike, it was likely a landmark and a guide for travelers. The mental picture that we have of this remarkable and resilient tree, however, is not exactly what the psalmist has in view here. Look again at verse 3. The psalmist says the tree has been planted by streams of water. 
The Hebrew verb here for plant can also mean transplant. And it's the same verb that's used in Psalm 92 that Grace just read for us. So remember, recall verses 12 and 13. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord's. They flourish in the courts of our God. Now the imagery of Psalm 92 is particularly striking. When it speaks of the house of the Lord or the courts of our God, the psalm is actually referencing a very specific practice of ancient Near Eastern kings. When a king would go out and conquer a new land, he would take specimens of plants and flowers and trees from that local area and have them transplanted back home in his royal gardens. In this way, the indigenous plants of these various and exotic places would function like a trophy case of the king's conquest. The psalmist is borrowing that idea here to declare that the people of God are in fact his prize and his special possession. With a mighty hand, God has claimed them for himself, taking them out of the house of slavery and transplanting them in the land that he promised to them. And so ideally, God's garden would be full of such trees, all kinds of different trees. And this image of God as a conquering gardener finds its genesis right here in Psalm 1. So, so if this is how the image works, what is it being used to say? The psalmist uses the image of the well-fed and unmovable desert tree as a symbol for all the good and the blessing that God intends for his people. God longs to see his people thrive and grow. God purposes for them to have deep roots and strong trunks and limbs that reach out, bearing fruit continually. He wants them to develop into the fullness of all they can be and all they can be for others. And all this talk of trees reminds me of a time when Anna and I and the kids were still living in West Tennessee. And uh, that part of the South deals with a lot of um, tornado warnings. And I remember one spring when a bad storm had come through and knocked down some of the oldest and largest trees in our neighborhood. So in the park near our house, uh, there were like 100-year-old oak trees just lying on their side. It was really kind of wild to see. The, you know, the kids loved like climbing on them and exploring them until the park service took them away. But I remember that this wasn't the strongest storm that we'd had. And so I found it, I found it kind of surprising that these enormous trees were toppled over. They were giants. So as the kids and I like explored them, the mystery was solved pretty quickly. We could see that the ones that had fallen were mostly hollow on the inside. Beneath the strong and sturdy exteriors of these old giants, they were diseased and rotten. And they were no longer ready for what the storm could do. And these neighborhood giants were firewood within a week. I recall that story because you and I face a similar temptation. We're tempted to build big, beautiful lives for ourselves that are only as steady as those hollow giants. But Psalm 1 can help. The flourishing that God has in store for his people comes from the inside out. And it's the direct result of trusting his word and living out his ways. For Israel, the law was God's gracious gift. 
His word was the expression of his character. And staying near to his word was the best way to stay near to him. This is what grounds the promise in verse 6, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's a statement of companionship, of close and intimate friendship. God knows his own. The vision of Psalm 1 demands a deeply held and uncompromising allegiance to God's ways. Tragically, even our best attempts don't come close to producing the kind of fruitfulness in view here. But here's the good news. This vision of flourishing is too beautiful and too holistic and too important to be left up to just us. Let me explain. Our second question, how is this flourishing tree good news for us? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. God's desire for companionship with his people was far greater than their inability to walk in his ways. When we could not follow the path, when we chose to keep company with his enemies, God sent his own righteous one to meet us and show us the way. Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of the righteous one that Psalm 1 describes. Jesus shows us how to walk the narrow path of Psalm 1. He is the only one who truly delights in God's word in the way that it describes. He's the one that meditates on it day and night. He's the one that truly knows it and uses it to bless others. I, I encourage you, go back and look at the Gospels and just watch how Jesus uses God's word. But I want to warn you, you might be surprised by the results. He's not the overachieving Pharisee that our inner legalist might expect. No, he's no dour slave to the law, just grinding out his obedience and worrying over it and stressing and fretting. That's not what it looks like when you see him there. The way he handles the word looks incredibly free. It's almost effortless. Jesus brings the law to life for those around him. When he puts the law into action, it bears remarkable fruit, fruit like healing and wholeness and redemption. You know, when his opponents wanted to use the law to trip him up, we see him using the law for the sake of others, time and time again. With it, he seeks mercy for the condemned, release for captives, sight for the blind, food for the hungry, or in other words, everything that it was designed for, everything it was meant to do. In his life and ministry, Jesus puts on the law and he makes it look good. He wears it like it belongs to him, like it was made for him. And in this way, he, he shows us a different path, a different way. A way in which following the narrow path of God's law leads to joy and peace and restoration wherever it takes root. But here's the really good part. <laughs> We're given something even better than his marvelous example. Jesus actually invites us into his delight. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an invitation. You know, in Jesus' day, there was a common expression among his countrymen for religious piety, for being really pious. The pious spoke about the yoke of the law. The yoke of the law. I mean, I guess that expression helps to explain why it feels so hard to do. But to those struggling 
under the yoke of the law, Jesus says, come here. Let's trade. I'll take your yoke and you take mine. This is his beautifully subversive plan. We overcome by sharing in his joy. As you know, Jesus' willingness to fulfill God's law led him to make the ultimate sacrifice. His devotion to the goodness of God's word allowed him to not only show off its beauty, but also suffer its most dire penalties. In this way, the cross is like the, you know, the, the most extreme sign of Jesus' dedication to the truthfulness of God's law. He made sure that it was fulfilled both in righteousness and in judgment. Now, because of his righteous sacrifice, we can access the nourishment of God's word without the risk of judgment. Because of Jesus' radical obedience, we can abandon our vain strivings and instead simply savor the goodness of the word. Because of his delight, we're finally free to find a new relationship to God's word, led by love and fueled by delight. Let's pray. Most merciful Heavenly Father, if we would follow in the obedient way of Jesus and seek the blessings of his righteousness, we can't lean on our own power. We need his spirit. So set our feet firmly in the way of Jesus and fill us with your spirit to walk in his way. We ask it in his name. Amen. Will you stand with us? We'll sing together. Your labor is not in vain, though the ground underneath you is cursed and stained. Your planting and reaping are never the same, but your labor is
Eternal God, you know the way of the righteous and have promised that the wicked will not stand before your judgment. Help us to trust that you are in control as we join with your people on earth and all the company in heaven in the unending hymn. Was Taylor invited us to see, looking at Psalm 1, and in particular that image of a tree, we're given another image here at Christ's table, at his table. We're given the image of wine and bread, sources of nourishment and life and refreshment. And as we go through our day time and time again, we can often come into this space or at the end of our weeks feeling the dryness of our life, of our souls, and yet God speaks to us through these elements to feed our soul, to give his delight to us by his spirit. This meal is for those who know their need for Jesus, who know their need for forgiveness and grace, and know that they are needy. And so if that is you, I invite you to come. I invite you to come and feast upon this table. As we come together uh, to eat this table, we will have our servers standing on the sides, and you are welcome to come forward and receive the elements, the wine or the juice, and we have bread or we have gluten-free wafers on the plate also. If you do not want to receive the meal at this time and would like to receive a prayer, I invite you to uh, punch your hand across your chest and you can receive a prayer from me or from Ozzy. Um, as we join at this table, let me pray over these elements for us. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we are those people who often go about our lives in this wor world feeling the weariness and dryness of our souls. And yet, gracious God, you have provided a meal to sustain us, to feed us, not only to feed us and give us nourishment, but to fill us with joy and delight, knowing that you are our gracious God who draws near to us even when we are a mess. So God, I ask that you would use these elements that you would use this bread and this wine to sustain and feed us again this day. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, when he was eating the meal with his disciples, he took bread, breaking it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you eat. And likewise, Jesus took the cup and blessing it, said, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death and resurrection of Christ until he returns again. At this time, I invite the servers to come forward.
take and eat. The blood of Christ poured out for you, take and drink. Well, I invite you now at this time to stand and respond to our table through prayer and song. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made us so that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food satisfy us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Join me in the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I invite you to take a to seat. <laughs> At this time, um, as part of our worship, we're reminded that our gifts are not ours, that we just earn on our own, but that they are given to us by a gracious God. And part of our worship is to give generously to his work and to those in need. Uh, so I invite our, our ushers to come forward. Um, if you have offering, uh, feel free to offer, uh, drop something in the plate, or you can also uh, read the instructions here, and there's other me methods to uh, give as well. As they are doing that, I will just take one moment to remind those who joined us um, during the beginning of the service that this weekend, uh, this coming up weekend, is the Square Roots Festival over in Lincoln Square. And we actually have a booth. Our church has a booth in the kids' zone. We're going to have crafts for the kids. And it's a way for us to connect with our neighborhood. And so I would invite you, uh, if you are able, on Saturday or Sunday, uh, July 9th or 10th, to come and serve uh, our booth there. Uh, if you have questions, you can ask Rob or myself. Um, and we have a sign-up sheet in the back uh, that's on a clipboard. So feel free to fill in one of those slots if, if you're willing to serve uh, at the festival this year. Well, I invite you now to stand and sing our doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him
Before receiving our blessing, I'd like to invite you to uh, join our fellowship time afterwards for coffee and water and some snacks. Uh, it's in the church playground, so if you go around the side to the alley, uh, you can also see the map here that we have for you as well. Um, now receive this blessing from our Lord God. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may God's presence and strength and love surround you and be with you this day. In Christ's holy name, amen. Go in the peace of Christ.